0: Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at CandeoChurch.com. Well, Merry Christmas. It's great to be with you all. Exciting days for everyone. If I have yet to meet you, my name is Stephen Jones. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Candeo, and it is awesome to be with you all. We are one of the families that have already opened presents. So Cody, I'm so sorry that was us, and our kids are very happy about that. We're going to be traveling the rest of the weekend, and so we're like, okay, let's have our own little family Christmas. The other thing is when Cody said, are the kids excited? I was equally excited to open my presents as any kid. So adults, are you excited? Okay, apparently spouses, you need to do a better job on gift giving that your spouse is not that excited for your gift. It's like, yep, another year where I'm going to exchange immediately what I just received. Shields is going to be packed out tomorrow with with the return area. So uh, one of the things that we did every single Christmas growing up, my dad was a pastor, so we always, he had a significant role in our Christmas Eve service. So what we always did is we'd go to the Christmas Eve service at our church, and then our van was typically loaded. So our van is packed, our van is loaded, we're ready to leave, the service would end, and then we would hit the road for Arkansas almost every single Christmas. It's where my grandparents were, all of our family would be coming together for the Christmas uh, time down there there. And so we would drive sometimes all the way through the night. Sometimes we'd stop in Joplin to to get a hotel to then make the rest of the trip on Christmas Day. But that was one of our most annual, most common traditions growing up was our annual Christmas trip down to Arkansas after the Christmas Eve service. Well, one of those trips was incredibly, incredibly unforgettable. So we drove and it was one where we were going to drive through the whole night. And we probably like we're up till midnight. We had rigged up a TV in the back of our Chevy Astro van, let's go, it was the Mean Green Machine, rigged this TV up, we had the Xbox hooked up, I have three brothers, and so we're playing probably about till midnight, and then we all fall asleep, and when we wake up, we are in Bentonville, Arkansas, about three hours away from Hope, and we are in standstill traffic. So we're about three hours away, and what had happened overnight is an ice storm hit Arkansas. And we know those southern states don't have the resources that the great state of Iowa has to deal with ice and snow. And so when ice hits those states, it like, shuts down the entire state for days, um, like, at, like, days at a time. And so we're in Bentonville. Ice storm has hit Arkansas, and our van was put in the parked position for four straight hours on the interstate. And outside of that, we are creeping along. And so what should have only taken us three hours ended up taking another 24 hours to get to hope. Incredibly, incredibly stressful for my parents. But for us, we loved it. We thought it was great. Every level, every achievement that we were trying to get on our video games, we got them all that night. Got them all, we had 24 hours of straight Xbox, no like screen time limits on that trip. We were loving it. It was an incredible trip in our minds. But for my parents, incredibly stressful. You know, there's people like opening up coolers out of trunks, giving each other like sandwiches, just trying to survive on the interstate, incredibly dangerous. There was accidents all over as we're driving. I don't know if anybody died, but in my mind, just to make this story better, people were dying everywhere. Just so much death. It was wild. That probably isn't true. And if anyone did die, I'm sorry. But it was an incredible trip for us. But for my parents, now I'm starting to realize just how stressful that would be. My wife, Natalie and I, we have three kids and I'm thinking about that trip. I'd be like, wow, that would be incredibly stressful to have kids loaded in a van, to be in a van for 32 hours with our children would just be, it would be uncertain. It'd be stressful. It'd be a panic in my heart. But why is it that for me and my brothers, we had such a peaceful time? Well, yes, the Xbox, but even more than that, I think it's because we were in the presence of my parents, right? We were with people that in our minds had a handle on the situation. We were in their presence and it brought us great comfort. Even though there was tons of uncertainty happening on the road, we had comfort, Now, what I know is true of a room this size and what is true in my life and what is true in your life is that as great as Christmas is, as wonderful as it is, all of us are bringing in stories to this room, stories that are marked by uncertainty, stories that are marked by brokenness, stories that are marked by hurt. We have lived the last 364 days of this year, and for many of us, there's been uncertainty and hardship along the way. And maybe you had a great year but you know that in the broken world that we live in that there will be uncertainties that you face at some point how can we have comfort as we face uncertainty well the message of christmas gives us the answer to that it gives us the answer to how can we have comfort when we face uncertainty And the passage that we're going to look at tonight is in Matthew 1. If you brought a Bible, great. If not, we will have it on the screen. But in Matthew 1, we're going to see the answer to that. How can we have comfort in the midst of uncertainty? And the answer that Christmas gives is very simple. It's one word, Emmanuel. God is with us in the presence of God, we can have comfort as we face uncertainty. That's the answer. And it's a concept that we hear almost every single year. I'm pretty sure it's in Linus's speech, Emmanuel, God is with us. We hear this every single Christmas, God is with us. And that is Christmas's answer to how we can have comfort when we face uncertainty. But let me ask you this, if that's something that you hear every single year, Christmas is about Emmanuel, and you're supposed to get comfort from that statement, why is it that inevitably the day after Christmas, in the months to come, our life is not marked by comfort? As we face uncertainties, as we face hardships, why is our life not mar- marked by comfort? Well, I think the reason is that we fail to see or to remember or to recognize how God is with us. And so we're going to see tonight in this passage how God came to be with us. And I think if we can see with fresh eyes this message of Christmas this year, we will have a new joy, a new hope, and a new comfort to face the uncertainties that come in this broken world. So we're going to be in Matthew 1, 18 through 25. It's really the story of Joseph's side of things in this Christmas story. And before we get to the comfort of Christmas, we're going to first see the cost of Christmas and then also the claim of Christmas. So here is Matthew 1, 18 through 25. It says this, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Before we get to the comfort of Christmas, let's first see the cost of Christmas. So in these first two verses, we actually see that Christmas, as great as it is, actually came with an incredible cost. This first Christmas day would ruin the lives of Mary and Joseph. In verse 18, it said, Mary and Joseph were engaged. And before they came together, it was discovered that Mary is pregnant. And Joseph knows, hey, it wasn't me. So what's going on? And Mary, you would imagine, shares with him, hey, an angel came to me. He explained what was going to happen. I conceived by the Holy Spirit. Joseph for sure doesn't believe that. Obviously made no sense to him. So what does he plan to do? He plans to divorce her secretly. Why? Well, they also did math back then. Believe it or not, that was a thing back then. And they knew that their wedding date wouldn't line up with nine months. And so they're like, we're not going to have, or Joseph's like, I'm not having a shotgun wedding. And so he's making preparations to divorce her. And what happens? In the midst of these preparations, an angel appears to him and confirms what Mary has been telling him. It really was the Holy Spirit that created a miraculous conception, and that is how this baby is here. He is, in fact, the Messiah. Now, what does this mean for Joseph? What does it mean for Joseph when he hears this news? It means that his life is about to be ruined. It meant that Christmas morning would bring great cost to him. Here's a couple that's engaged. Mary is pregnant. Joseph's not the father. And the virgin conception was no more believable back then as it is today. And so they knew, this young couple knew, that embracing this Christmas, this angel's message, it would cost them their reputation. It would most likely cost Joseph business. It would forever leave a stigma around them and their family. There is the couple That had a baby during their engagement. It would have brought incredible social ramifications for Mary and Joseph. There was a significant cost for them because of Christmas. Their lives would never look the same. Now let's pause there. How has Christmas changed your life? We have these uh, cards hanging in our kitchen and there's 25 of them, they're advent cards and they kind of take our family through uh, different elements of the Christmas story each night. So there's a verse and then there's some sort of discussion question. And then one of our favorite parts is there's a merry moment. And the merry moments on the bottom of these cards are typically things like, what's your favorite Christmas song or what's your favorite Christmas dessert, things like that. Well, I've yet to see a merry moment question that asked, what has Christmas cost you? Think about that. What has Christmas cost you? Christmas cost Joseph a great deal. It's great reflecting on the sweet memories, the nostalgia. But think, what has Christmas cost you? Joseph's life would never look the same after this first Christmas morning. What in your life doesn't look the same because of Christmas? Embracing Jesus and Christmas is absolutely worth it. We're going to see there is great comfort because of Christmas. He is the Savior of the world. He is God. And yet, embracing him will cost everyone something. For Joseph and Mary, it cost them social standing. It maybe cost them business deals. What is it costing you? For Joseph, if he was going to embrace Christmas, it was going to cost him social standing. If you are going to embrace Christmas, what will it cost you? Maybe it will cost you, just like Mary and Joseph, social standing. Maybe you you embracing the call to follow Jesus will set you apart from your family and your friends in a way that it will cost you something relationally. Maybe your unwillingness to compromise God's standards in your life will actually prevent you of climbing the, the corporate ladder in the same way that some of your peers are climbing it because you won't compromise your integrity. Maybe it will cost you to put your desires aside. It changes how you spend your time, your money, who you invite into your home. What has Christmas cost you? That's the cost of Christmas. Now, as surprising as it might be that Christmas cost something for Mary and Joseph, the even more startling reality isn't necessarily what Christmas cost, but what Christmas claims. Look at, again, verse 20 and 21. So right after 18 and 19, we get to 20 and 21. I'll read it again so you can hear it. It said this, but after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. What's the angel claiming? The angel's claiming that Jesus was conceived. From the Holy Spirit, that Mary the Virgin is with child from this miraculous conception by the Holy Spirit. That's a startling claim of Christmas. Jesus of Nazareth had no biological father. Startling claim to say someone has no biological father. We know how children come into this world, it's not without a father. We need that in order to have a kid. This is a startling claim that the Holy Spirit miraculously brought about about a conception in Mary. Now, this doctrine of the virgin birth has been universally held by Christians for 2,000 years, and virtually all Christians have claimed that this is an essential doctrine to the Christian faith, meaning that if you reject this doctrine, you are actually rejecting genuine Christianity for something else. There's certain doctrines within Christianity that we can have wiggle room on. Things like the nature of church governance. How is the church run? Or how exactly is the end times going to happen? There's room for debate on those doctrines. But virtually all Christians have claimed that the virgin birth is an essential doctrine to the Christian faith. Now that claim immediately brings two questions to mind for most of us. Number one, how could I believe something so far-fetched as Jesus had no biological father? And second, why? Why is that an essential doctrine? So first, how can I believe this? Now, difficulty in embracing this doctrine is nothing new. right? I think often we think, oh, we're more sophisticated, so these sorts of things are harder for us modern people to believe, easier for people back then. No, it was just as difficult for them to embrace it as it would be for us. So how can we embrace this aspect of Christianity when it seems so far-fetched that Jesus was born of a virgin. So I know this is a difficult aspect for many of you. And for a lot of you, this is where your rub with Christianity lies. And if we were to sit down and have a one-on-one conversation, I would probably take the conversation in one of two directions. First, I would ask you, what do you believe about a God who created everything out of nothing and has existed eternally? Second, I'd ask you, what do you believe about the resurrection of Christ? The reason I'd go there is before I would want you to reject Christianity because of the virgin birth, I'd want you to first wrestle with the evidence that there is a God who created the world. And second, I want you to wrestle with the evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. Because for me, if there is a God who created everything out of nothing, then the concept of a virgin birth or the other miracles in the New Testament, those become simple. If God could create everything, then surely he could perform this miracle. Likewise, if God rose Jesus from the dead, then his virgin conception or changing water to wine, again, that becomes simple to embrace for me. So I know that is incredibly short, incredibly simple, but before you get hung up on the virgin birth, seriously wrestle with the evidence that there is a God and that that God created everything that we see. Seriously wrestle with the evidence that Jesus rose from the dead and that the claims of the New Testament to his resurrection are the most convincing uh, to explain the events surrounding it. Start there. Okay, so how about the second question, though, why? Why have Christians claimed that this is an essential doctrine? Why is it so important that Jesus had this virgin birth? Well, to answer that, let's look back at verse 21. So at the end, there's another claim that the angel makes in this dream to Joseph. The angel says this, she will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's the second claim in this encounter before Christmas that Jesus would save his people from their sins. Now here's what Christian theology teaches. Without the virgin birth, his ability to save us from our sins is impossible. Why? Well, first, in order for Jesus to save us from our sins, he had to be both fully God and fully man. He had to have both a human nature and a divine nature. And the only way he could have both natures was through a virgin birth. A pastor named Kevin DeYoung puts it this way, if Jesus had not been born of a human, we could not believe in his full humanity. At the same time, if, if his birth were like any other human birth, we would question his full divinity. So why did he have to have both natures to save us? Well, he had to be a human so that he could take our place on the cross. Only a human could substitute for humanity. He had to fulfill God's commands as a human. But he had to also be fully God so that he could fully satisfy the justice of God and bring for us righteousness and eternal life. He had to be both fully God and fully man in order to save us. And outside of the virgin birth, Jesus could not be fully God and fully human. Second, without the miraculous conception, Jesus would have inherited our sinful nature and would not have been born sinless. In order for Jesus to be our adequate substitute, he had to be perfect. And the miraculous conception meant that he did not inherit our cursed human nature. So the virgin birth is essential so that he could become our savior, so he could save his people from their sins. Okay, now what would move Mary and Joseph to look at the cost, to look at the claims of Christmas and say they are worth it? What would move them to that place? What would move us to that place to look at the cost and the claims and say, yes, it is worth it to embrace this message of Christmas? Well, it's to see the staggering comfort that Christmas brings. Look at verse 22. So after the angel appears to Joseph, he says what he says, verse 22, now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Like I said, the comfort of Christmas is summed up in one word, Emmanuel. God is with us. In the uncertainty of an ice storm, what gave us comfort? The presence of our parents. In the uncertainty of the broken world that we live in, what gives us comfort? Having access to the presence of God through Jesus Christ. The comfort of Christmas is knowing that God has come and dwelt among his people. Jesus has come and made the invisible God visible. He's revealed the glory of God to us. Jesus has come and restored our access to God. Now, if I were to ask you, what is humanity's biggest problem? There's probably a lot of different ways you could answer that. What is, what is humanity's biggest problem? Well, one way to answer that would be to say that we lost access to God. That is actually the fundamental problem of humanity. That when God created us in the garden, we had perfect relationship with God. But humans rejected that relationship and it severed our access to God. It severed our relationship with him. And that is the great problem of humanity. Which means then the great comfort of Christmas is not that the angel appeared to Joseph and said humans need to work their way back to getting access with God, but instead that God is working his way back to you, pursuing you to restore your access to him. That God became Emmanuel. God is with us. This is the great comfort of Christmas, that you can have access to God through Jesus that though you lost access to him through your rejection, it has been restored through Jesus Emmanuel. God is with us. Now, like I said, how is it, why is it that we forget that after New Year's every year? Why is it that if this is such a great and profound and significant truth that God is with us through Jesus Christ, that our life isn't marked by more joy, more happiness, more delight, more comfort, more confidence in the midst of uncertainty, but instead it's marked by insecurity. It's marked by vulnerability, by weakness, by failure. Why? It's because we miss how it is that he came to us. So when I was in college my freshman year, uh, one of the most kind of exciting moments of the year for Iowa State was Barack Obama. President Barack Obama was coming to our campus, which is a big deal. He was coming to visit Iowa State University. He was going to give a speech on Central Campus. The President of the United States, the most powerful man in the world at that time, was going to be at our campus. And so all of us were flooding central campus to see it and it was wild. I mean, there were snipers on roofs, like literal snipers on roof. I saw them. There's secret service guys, suits, glasses, earpieces. It was like, oh my word, this dude, like this guy is powerful. He is here. It was wild. His entourage, everything. Now think about this. It is exciting. And it's one thing to have the most powerful man in the world present on your campus. That's great, but as a regular person, Barack Obama being present at Iowa State did little or nothing to increase my level of access to him. My level of access to him was just the same as it would be if he was in Washington DC or on Central Campus, right? I wasn't getting close to him, no way. With the secret service, with the snipers, my level of access was still reduced to very, very, very little. Yeah, he was present on our campus, but I had no access. Here's the reality of Christmas and why I think we miss the comfort that it's supposed to bring. That it is one thing for God to be with us. But if he came like a president with this angelic entourage and Gabriel with a sniper, we would have little to no access to him. But how is it that Jesus came to be with us? Humble in a manger. Who is it that Jesus came and introduced himself first to? It wasn't the powerful of the world, it was the shepherds. People who were marginalized and outcast in society. Who was it? What family was Jesus born into? It wasn't one of the great families of old. It was a family from Nazareth. A family marked by poverty and who was marginalized. How did Jesus come to us? He came to us humble and lowly. Why? So that you and I would know that no matter who you are, you have access to God. You have access to the God who created the heavens and the earth. God with us, not an angelic, heavenly entourage that you have no access to. No, humble in a manger, vulnerable and weak as a baby so that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you can know that you have access to the Lord of lords and the kings of kings. You have access to God. But how could that be? How could the holy God who is perfect make himself accessible to sinful people like you and me? How is it that the perfect and holy God could dwell in a broken world? How is it that he could pursue you and not make you work to get to him? The only way he could become God with us is if 33 years after this day, it wouldn't be the cries of a baby piercing a dark night, but the cries of the Son of God on the cross who shouting out into the darkness of God's wrath, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? It was only if Jesus would be severed from his access to God the Father that you could have your access to God the Father restored. It's only if Emmanuel, God with us, lost God with him, that we could have God with us never threatened. It's only if Jesus suffered on the cross for our sin that we can no longer be separated from God because of our sin, but actually restored into relationship to him. That is the great comfort of Christmas. The great uncertainty that faces you and I is our relationship with God, and that it is severed because of the rejection in our hearts. But the great hope of Christmas is that that rejection was paid for in full on the cross by Jesus, who lost access to the Father so that you could always have it. And it's by recognizing this, it's by seeing this, it's by embracing this truth of Christmas that we can have a hope that endures, that we can have a joy that never fades that we can have a comfort that is not threatened by any uncertainty because the greatest uncertainty that we ever faced was taken care of 2,000 years ago on a cross. That is the comfort of Christmas. Recognize that and embrace it. Recognize the truth that Jesus came to save his people from his sins and how that truth restores your relationship to God. Let's pray. Jesus, what an amazing thing it is that you came to earth. God, that you came and dwelt among your people, that you revealed your glory to us. But not only did you come and dwell and be present with us as the most powerful being in the universe, but you came and dwelt among us in a humble and lowly state, giving us confidence that regardless of who we are, we have access to you. That you don't operate on a value system of who is great and who is worthy, but who has embraced Jesus. God, that you came for people who are marginalized. You came for people who are overlooked. You came for people who are sinful and broken, who've made mistakes in their life. And you didn't ask us to clean up our life, but instead you entered into the mess of this world and you went to the cross to restore our relationship with you. God, what a great hope we have in that. What a great comfort we have in that message of Christmas. And God, I pray that regardless of the brokenness that we're facing now, and that regardless of the pain that we're feeling, regardless of the uncertainties present in our life, that this Christmas we would see Jesus on a cross for us and be convinced that our greatest problem that we ever faced has been taken care of. Which doesn't mean that the problems we now face don't matter, but God, that we can have hope as we face them. That we can take great comfort in Christ who can sympathize with our weakness because he bore our flesh. God, I pray that we would see Jesus this Christmas, being separated from you so that we could have our relationship with you restored and that would change our lives forever. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.